Good morning, everyone. Would you pray with me, please? Let us pray together and ask God for clarity in our understanding of his word. My Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the focus of the gospel, who is the gospel incarnate, and who is our teacher and Lord and Master, and indeed our King, we ask you, Father, in his name, that you would open us up and that you would open our understanding and our hearts to receive this message and to live in accordance with your word. Father, in Jesus' name, lead us now. Amen. Uh, please um, open your Bibles. Those of you that brought your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of John. And uh, those of you that did not bring your Bibles, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. But also you can, you can use the insert that is in your bulletin that Deacon Diane read today, uh, the Gospel. And that's where I will be uh, teaching from. The sixth chapter of John. Sixth chapter of John. In back of your bulletins, there, are, there is one sheet in particular that is for you to take notes as you feel led. And I recommend that you do not only notes of what I say, but notes of what the Lord may be saying to you. Because uh, the Lord usually does speak to us beyond what the preacher says. Uh, he will incline your hearts. He will bring a thought. He will bring an idea. He may bring uh, recollection of something in your life. And you say, yeah, that's exactly what, what the Lord is doing. And so I want you to feel free to take notes. And especially uh, as I conclude the, the service, I will ask some questions of you that I would hope that you will write down and, um, and answer them uh, in your time. Uh, for the Lord's sake and for your walk with Him. Remember that I'm not interested in filling you with information, Bible information. I'm interested in getting you to obey what the Lord has commanded. Uh, there, there's a difference. I don't just want to tell you the stories of Jesus and, and have you fill your head and you can quote those stories back. I want you to obey. I want you to walk in the Word. I want you to obey what the Lord has asked us. So one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves always when we hear a sermon is, what is this saying to me? How am I going to live in this word? How am I going to follow Jesus according to what he's teaching us? So let's, um, let, let's take a look at, at John chapter 6. Last week, I, I hope that you can uh, recollect still some of my teaching last week. But last week, again, we were in the Gospel of John. And last week, we were looking in particular at Jesus' cleansing of the temple. Remember that? We, uh, we were looking at Jesus coming into Jerusalem and cleansing uh, the temple from all those who were uh, doing business. Uh, selling oxen and, and saying, selling sheep, sheep and the money changers and all of that. And 
I, I asked you to consider whether you are as passionate for the house of the Lord as Jesus was passionate for his house, and to consider the attitude with which you come to worship. Are, are you here uh, to be entertained? Are you here for fellowship, or are you here to commune with God? And so we use the cleansing of the temple for us to understand when we come in the presence of God, listen, whether it's at this church or whether it's at home when you're worshiping God, what is your heart's attitude in the worship of God? Is this a holy place? Are we maintaining our time with the Lord holy? Are we maintaining this church, the building where we worship? Is it holy ground or is it a place of business? And I ask you to consider that and I ask you to uh, to apply that teaching to your lives uh, today. And uh, one of the things I said to you last week about the cleansing of the temple, which is a reference to today as well, is that all four Gospels tell us that story. All four Gospel writers make sure that we understand that Jesus went into Jerusalem at a Passover and what his heart and his attitude toward the worship of God was. So we have four witnesses, not just one individual saying this is what happened. It is so clear that that story of Jesus cleansing the temple was so important to the Christian community in the life of Jesus and beyond, that it was told considerably to everybody. It was one of the key stories to the point that all four Gospels bear witness. So you have four witnesses of this that Jesus did in the temple. It's not just one person saying, I heard this. This is four different independent witnesses that tell us that Jesus came into the temple. He found this uh, selling and doing business in the temple, and he was greatly uh, offended. And one of the things we did last week is that we looked at the similarities and at the differences in all four stories. And I invite you to go back to the website, go back to our St. David's app, if you want to listen and hear again that sermon. Today, we are in a different place. We're not in the temple. But we are at a story that I'm sure all of you have heard, so I'm not going to uh, dissect it for you in a lot of details, because this is a story we have heard over and over again. Jesus' great miracle of feeding 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of, of fish. Okay, we've all heard that story. Uh, the thing to, to understand about this story, which is important, at least to me it is important, is that this is another one of those stories that is told in all four Gospels. All four Gospel writers tell us about this story. So again, you have the reliability of four witnesses of what uh, Jesus did, this great miracle, because it's, it was a great miracle to feed over 5,000 people with so little food. Okay? So we have all four Gospels telling us the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Our primary text is going to be the Gospel of John. I want to look with you a moment first at the similarities and the difference between all four stories. 
the similarities and the difference between all four stories. First of all, the large majority of what we have when we compare all four of these stories in the life of Jesus is that the similarities are great. They're, they're amazingly great, and they, so, so it is a well-established story and a well-established witness. Let me share with you a little bit about some of the similarities between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000. First of all, and as the map shows you there, all four Gospels tell us the general vicinity of where this miracle took place. It took place in the northern side of Galilee, in the area of Bethsaida. Luke is very clear, and he tells us that it was in Bethsaida. John doesn't mention the name, but he says it was in the upper part of the Lake of Galilee. Or he also calls it the Lake of Tiberias. So all four Gospels tell us more or less where the miracle of the 5,000 took place. Another of the similarities that we have in all four Gospels is the number of those fed. All four of them tell us that it was 5,000. And then they all say that it was 5,000 men. That means there were women as well. And clearly, John tells us that there was one child. He's the one that had the bread and had the fish. So at least we know there was a lad there. There was a child. So, so all four Gospels give us the same number, 5,000 men, not counting the women and not counting any child that may have been in the crowd. Another of the similarities in all four of the Gospels is the cost that it would have been needed to buy all the food to feed everybody in the multitude. All four Gospels tell us that the disciples felt, according to their arithmetic or, or their, their math, it would, would take in excess of 200 denarii. All four Gospels mention the same amount. 200 denarii to be able to buy sufficient food to feed all these 5,000 plus people. All four Gospels tell us the same. All four Gospels tell us that Jesus did the miracle with five loaves of bread and two fish. All four Gospels give us that exact number. All that Jesus had to work with was five pieces of bread, five loaves of bread, and two fishes. Okay? That's the, the, all four Gospels tell us that. All four Gospels tell us that there was a lot of grass, and Jesus had them all sit in groups in, in the grass. All four Gospels tell us that as these uh, bread and, and, and fish were brought to Jesus. Jesus lifted them to the Father, gave thanks for the food, and then gave it to the disciples, and it was the disciples that gave it to the multitude. So Jesus blessed, gave to the disciples, and the disciples fed the multitude. All four Gospels give us a word that becomes extremely important, the word compassion. All four Gospels tell us that Jesus had compassion 
for those that he saw. They were hungry. They were sick. They were coming with so many needs. They were, uh, you know, they, they had needs, problems. And Jesus had compassion. And I think that's extremely important. And I will deal a little bit more with that word in a little bit. But all four Gospels tell us that compassion is what moved Jesus to do this miracle. And all four Gospels tell us that at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets, in addition to feeding everybody, 12 baskets were still collected, an abundant miracle, 12 baskets were collected full of the bread and of the fish. And there are many other things in there that I would call similarities, although there are, you know, they, each writer uses some of its own style in writing. But these are the primary, what I found, similarities that bear witness to this miracle of Jesus of the feeding of the 5,000. When it comes to the differences between the four Gospels, there are few, very few differences, but still important differences. Only John mentions that this happened at the time of Passover. Only John makes mention that this happened at the time of Passover. One, it accounts for the great multitude traveling. Because it was Passover, and every Jew was coming from everywhere, traveling toward Jerusalem. But um, one of the differences is that John mentions that it was Passover, while the other uh, Gospels do not. Only John gives us the two names of the lake. And the reason for that is John is probably writing his Gospel later in the first century when the name of the Lake of Galilee had become known as for the name of the city of Tiberias, which was named to honor the emperor, the emperor Tiberius. So John gives us both names. He says that it is the Lake of Galilee, but he also calls it the Lake of Tiberius or the Sea of Tiberius. The other gospels only know the area as the Lake of Galilee. Only John tells us about the little boy. In the other gospels, the disciples are thinking of going and buying the food. Or in another gospel, Jesus says, what do you have? And they say, well, we have some bread and we have some fish. But only John tells us that there's a little boy who is actually the one that has the bread and has the fish. Also, only John tells us that it is barley bread. It's barley bread, which is an indication that barley is one of the cheapest ingredients to make bread. So this child, this little boy, may have been poor or may have been part of a family not with a lot of affluence. And so John mentions that it is bread made of barley. And this may indeed have been his lunch that he had with him. And Mark adds that the multitudes were divided in groups of 50 and 100. 
But those are the only major differences between the four Gospels when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000. Everything else is identical or very, very similar. Now, when we read about Jesus feeding 5,000, we need to realize that the Bible is full of, of, of situations and occurrences where food is part of everything that's happening. Food and eating is part of the life of the people of God all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Food is always involved, okay? Example, when we read this story, we need to immediately be drawn back to the feeding of all the Israelites in the wilderness with manna. Okay, you should recollect right away that when the Israelites were hungry and needing food, God gave them this thing they called manna, which was bread from heaven. It should also remind us of Elijah when he comes to the widow and the widow is about to die of hunger and starvation, her and her son. And because of Elijah's miracle, the bread and the oil or the flour and the oil last until the famine was over. Another miracle involving food. It should also remind us of Elisha the prophet when he fed over a hundred men with a little bit of food as well. It should remind us of the devil's attempt to get Jesus to make bread from stones. But most of all, the feeding of the 5,000 should remind us, one, of the Eucharist. It should remind us because Jesus lifts up bread and gives thanks to God. And then the multiplication of the bread and the fish takes place. And when we celebrate Eucharist, we lift up the bread and the wine and we give thanks. And God feeds us all with the body and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So whenever we read this story, we need to connect it with that. And we need to connect it ultimately with the promise of the heavenly banquet when Jesus Christ returns. It reminds us of the feeding of all the world. The feeding of all believers. The feeding of all that are raptured from this earth and present with the Lord. The, the feeding of all the dead, the living, and those that are taken up. It should remind us of the time when there will be an abundant feast of all of the blessings of God in the heavens. This is an earthly feeding, an earthly miracle of a foreshadowing of a heavenly feasting that Jesus has promised. Now, I'm not going to break down the passage for you because it's actually very easy. You read it and you fully understand it. I don't, I don't think I need, there, there's nothing here that I would say you need to know that or you need to know that. I invite you, read the miracle of the reading of the 5,000 and you'll be able to catch all of it very, very easy. But I want to now share with you a little bit about application. How do we live this word? How do we live into this word? First of all, I need you to understand that this miracle clearly points us all our attention to the one performing the miracle. 
that this story is not about the 5,000. That this story is not about five loaves of bread or two fish or even the multiplication of it. This story is about who Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus Christ shows himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God, to be the only one that could have done a miracle like this. Jesus Christ is the only one, and when we read this passage, we need to be at all that Jesus Christ represents the kingdom of God. This is a manifestation of the presence of the kingdom of God on earth, and an invitation for you to come and feed of the Son. It's an invitation to you to be part of the multitude, to bring your troubles, to bring your problems, to bring your hungers, to bring your doubts, to bring your thirst, that Jesus is the one that can calm that hunger, that Jesus is the one that can give you satisfaction for all your hungers and all your needs. This is a story that primarily shows us who Jesus is. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so we can see the miracle and miss Jesus, and we've missed the most important part of the story. So the first thing I want you to realize that you are dealing with your Lord that you are dealing with God in the flesh doing something that no Moses could do, no Elijah could do, and no human being, and no high priest, and no priest, and no human being. This is God acting on behalf of God's people. So that's the first thing I want you to be able to apply to yourself when you come to this story Place yourself in the multitude and tell Jesus your need and tell Jesus your hunger and tell Jesus your doubt and Jesus will minister to those needs. That's the first thing. The second thing that to me is very important in the story is this idea that Jesus had compassion. That Jesus had compassion. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, not amazing for Jesus, but amazing for me. Compassion is not pity. Compassion is not feeling sorry for someone who has a need. Compassion is actually two words put together. Con is, means with, and passion is love. It's passionate love. The kind of love we call the death of Jesus, the passion of Jesus. What it means is that God so loved the world that he nailed his son to the cross. That's the passion. So when we deal with compassion, we are seeing Jesus as the friend of all who are in need. We see Jesus as having an attitude of enormous amount of passionate love for people in need. No matter whether they're Samaritans, no matter whether they're male, no matter whether they're female, no matter whether they're learned, no matter whether they're fishermen, no matter what their position, Jesus had compassion for all who he saw in need. Compassion. He had love. Passionate love for people in need. Jesus would see someone in need and he was moved immediately to try and do something about it. 
pity is a feeling that makes you feel like poor person. Compassion is something that makes you get involved. It's passion enough, it's love enough that you want to get involved. Some people may think that the opposite of compassion is hate. Actually, no. The opposite of compassion is judgment. Because a lot of us sometimes see someone in need in our, in our church or in our neighborhood or in our family, and the first thing we do is judge them. If they had gone to school and gotten a degree, they would not be in the position they're in. If they had taken better care of their money, they wouldn't be needing money now. If they had not taken drugs or whatever, they would be healthy today. We sometimes see people in need and the first thing we do is judge them. Why they are in the position they are. Jesus had compassion, not judgment. Not judgment. Compassion. To see people's need and know that you're not their judge. You are the heart of God at that moment to that person. Compassion. I think we need to learn compassion. Some people, some people have a gift of mercy. Huge gift of mercy. Some people have a quarter gift of mercy. Okay, not everybody is merciful. Unfortunately, Jesus is one who acts in love. He sees a person in need and it moves him to want to do something about it. And I think you and I need to learn to feel compassion for people that is not pity or sorrow or judgment, but actually ask ourselves, what can I do? What can I do, little or much? Is there something I can do? Can I give that person a hug? Can I give a person the love of God? Can I serve in any way? Can I do something to alleviate the condition, to change the situation? We are not normally compassionate people, and that needs to change. One of the things I see here is that compassion is what moved Jesus to perform the miracle. And I think compassion can do many miracles today in people's lives. Maybe not multiply bread and fish, but just loving people may do a mighty miracle in that person's life. It may change the way they see life. It may change the way that they feel alone. It may change the way they view God. Having compassion can do a mighty miracle, and God can use your passion and your compassion to do something that is greater than what you can do. Jesus was compassionate. You know, sometimes churches focus primarily on a ministry of evangelism. Oh, we love the lost. We have to go in the community and, and, and preach the gospel and reach the lost and proclaim the kingdom of God. Other churches are very big on compassion ministries. They have feeding the hungry, family promise. They have all these ministries, cancer ministries, agape ministry. They have all of these ministries. And the big focus is what can we do for people? There's no need to separate the two. 
There is no need to separate the two. Compassion ministry and evangelism ministry need to be together. That's what we see in Jesus. That's what we see in Jesus. Jesus was moved by compassion. He met people's need and he taught and preached the kingdom of God. Because the movement of compassion is nothing more than the presence of the kingdom of God being manifested. The heart of God in the heart of man. Compassion is the heart of God in the heart of man. And then there's one teaching I want to give you that to me is very important. And it's this. It's not about how much you have or don't have. It's about how much are you willing to give God so that he can do the miracle. You hear me? It's not about how much you have or don't have. It's about whether you're willing to put what you do have in the hands of the Lord so that he can use it. Whether you have much or you have little, God can do with what you have miracles upon miracles upon miracles. But it's when you and I say no to God that he will not do the miracle. God takes Five loaves of bread that one little boy was willing to put into his hands. And two fish. And God does this. And God multiplies it to the point that he feeds 5,000 plus people. But the lad didn't say, no, it's my lunch. The lad said, yes, here it is. And then with what little he had, Jesus did the much. It's not about how much you have. It's about whether you're willing to put it in the Lord's hands for the kingdom work, for the kingdom of God. I have said this to you before, and I'll repeat it till the day I die. Ministry for Jesus was the person right in front of him. I hope you understand that. Ministry for Jesus was the person right in front of him. Jesus didn't plan mission trips. He just met people as he walked around. Whoever God put in front of him, whoever he met on the road, whether it was a Samaritan woman coming for water or a Syrophoenician woman that did not really know anything about Judaism or, or, or any Jewish person that came, whoever came to Jesus, Jesus met them where they were and then he did something about it. Ministry for Jesus and ministry for us needs to be the persons and people that God put in our path. Whoever he puts in our path, that's the person that we have a divine appointment with for us to love them, for us to serve them, for us to give them hope, and for us to tell them about Jesus Christ and about the kingdom. Ministry for Jesus was the person in front of him. Now, I want you to write these things in your bulletin. I want you to write these two questions I have for you. One, I want to ask you, who is a person or persons in your immediate circle 
that is in need of compassion. Who is God already placed in your circle? It could be a neighbor, it could be a co-worker, it could be a church person. Who is Jesus calling you to love and to serve and to love with genuine heart and to try and do something about remedying their condition? Who is the person that Christ is calling you to love today? Write that person's name down. One, two, three people that you may know. It may be a neighbor who just lost his job. Don't just say, I'm so sorry, I hope you get one. Go to the market, and as you're doing your your shopping, buy a couple of extra bags of food, and go over there and say, this is for you, to help you. Who, who is God already positioning you to express the love of God for them? And are you willing to be Christ to that person? Just write down one name, two names, three names. Who are you supposed to be praying for every single day? Who is that person that God is just saying, I have placed you in her life or his life, and as you bless him, you're going to get blessed. Who are you called to feed today? Maybe an extra bit of a casserole and go and, and feed somebody else. Share that extra, that extra something, that extra plate of soup. Just make a little more, knowing that you're about to be a blessing to someone. Who? Who? Just write their names down. Because when you leave here, you're expected by God to go bless. The second thing that I would like you to consider today is what do you have? What do you have that you can put in the Lord's hands so that he can do a miracle? Five things, write down five things that you believe in prayer that God has given you so that you can put them in his hands for the work of the kingdom and watch God multiply it. Five things. Take a look at your life. Do you have some clothes that don't fit anymore? Do you have some clothes you don't like anymore? Do you have a suit that you like a lot, but God is telling you to give it out? Do you have time? Do you have an extra hour a week, an extra hour a day that God has given you a whole lifetime? Do you have an extra hour to do something for somebody else? What do you have that you can put in the Lord's hands and say, Lord, do this I'm giving it to you, multiply it, use it with the right person at the right time for the right reason. Lord, use me. Use my time. Use my morning. Use my evening. Use me. Do I have a talent or a gift that God has given me? Put it in the Lord's hand and let him use it. What do you have? Five things I want you to write down. Five things 
that you say the Lord has already blessed me and I have a little bit of a surplus or you know what I'm willing to do without so that I can help somebody in need. Five things. Do you have some extra bread? Some extra fish? Do you have no extras? Just put it in the Lord's hands. And watch him feed you and feed everybody else. It's the heart that opens itself up for God to use that will become a blessing to multitudes. And you'll become a person of blessing. A person of blessing. And we all have to grow in this. It's not always natural. But you have to be conscious that God wants to use you. That God wants to love through you and with you people that need to feel the love of God. Five things. And also write down the name of two or three people that you just feel God is calling you to bless and to love and to serve. That's the application from this passage. It's not just a story about Jesus that we can all remember and tell our grandchildren. This is a story for us to live into, to apply it, to obey it, and say, Lord, how can you use me to do this kind of stuff? How can you use me? The little that I have, I trust you with it. Show me. How do I do it? Who do I bless? Do I give up my lunch today so that I can buy somebody else lunch? You'll never know what God does with that kind of stuff. You just never know how God does things. But he will use your heart and your sacrifice and your willingness to give to bring blessing into other people's lives. Don't just memorize the story. Obey the story. Obey the word of God. Amen? Amen. Now go do it.